How you doing? This ought to wake us up. Uh-oh, I'm sorry. Okay, there, come down. One way, Jesus. That was awesome. Nice going, Craig. Thank you, guys, for the wonderful music. And how are you all? Pretty practical things we're going to learn today um, out of the Word of God. We're, we're in the fifth chapter of the book of Acts. Uh, those of you that are with us, you know that. We kind of uh, go through the Bible on a very steady, but some say very slow pace. I don't know. Uh, we go on a pace, whatever pace that is. And today, hi, where are you guys? <laughs> One more step on my leg. How are you? Good. Um, I just love... I just love this lady. Um, I do, I do, I do. You know, it's, it's, it's typical for those up front. If, if it could be anywhere else but up front, they'd rather be up, not up front. Is that true? Would you rather not be here? I know. Me too. It's, it's funny. It's, it's, it's funny how the Lord does that. And then the Lord gives you a, a ministry, and he, and, he, and he puts you to a place where you're not necessarily comfortable. And, and yet, it's just amazing to watch the Lord work. And uh, I love this lady very much. Um, well, if you know, we're in the Bible. Um, I must be drooling. I think, I think they gave me this. We're in a very practical place in the Word of God today. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, the very essence of what, is, um, what makes us as believers kind of unique and special. Um, what... The way I see it, the way I've been reading Acts, and especially now as we get into the fifth chapter, the, the way I read it, we owe so much to that first century church. What we have has been passed along to us by them. If you're in the book of Acts, if you open your Bible, look at the first chapter, the second verse. Actually, the verse, first and second verse. Uh, <clears throat> the writer, Luke, writes and says, look, what I've composed to you, what, what I've written to you, I, I've given to you. And then he says in the second verse, let me get to it so I can kind of read it. I was going to paraphrase it, but let, let's just take a look at this right here. It says, until the day, talking about what Jesus began to do and teach in verse 1, until the day, verse 2, he was taken up after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he has chosen. And, and we've kind of made it a, a, a statement of our church that, that we have been given orders. God has given orders through the apostles that must have been passed along. And, and I say to you how much we owed to them that they were tenacious. They, they, would, not, they would not give in. They, they, they presented the gospel. In, in fact, the orders that they were given, they knew they were given to them by God. So consequently, last week, when in verse in chapter five, I think verse twenty nine, twenty nine, when when the council, when the the Sanhedrin said, "Look, we've given you strict orders. We've given you strict orders not to teach in the name of this man's name anymore." Remember, they didn't even mention Jesus's name, and and so it was easy for Peter to say, "Well, here's the deal. We have been given orders by you what to do." And we have been given orders by God what to do. So he says, whether it's right in the sight of, 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 of God or man, whether we'll follow man, we can't do that. 
We've got to do what is right in, in the eyes of God. And I think, I think when, we, when we do church, and we try to do church as, as God has called us to do church, that's our, that's our credo, that's our mantra, if you would, that's our statement. It is the orders that we have been given to do church and how to do church has been passed along from one generation to the next. Now, I'm not saying that we're right on, but I'm, I'm hoping and praying with all my heart that we're as close to the first century church as we can possibly get, that we would do things as our Lord would have us do things. And so we, we said, remember, in the second chapter, in the 42nd verse, we said, look, we want to be, as a body of believers, continually devoted to the things of God. Because that's what the apostles asked those that have come to Christ. So we want you to be continually devoted and then they mentioned four things. Remember, we wanted you to be continually devoted to the teaching from us, the apostles. In other words, what we have been given by God, we give to you. And also, we want you to be continually devoted to fellowship, lifting each other up, encouraging one another. He says, also, we want you to be continually devoted to communion. Communion was a way of, of, uh, of reminding ourselves who Jesus is in our lives. And also, as I've taught, it is a way of examining ourselves to make sure that there's no no difficulties, no problems within the body of Christ. And then he says, I want you to be continually devoted to praying. Today, I want to teach something that I believe kind of um, verifies what I believe is correct for a church. I want you to know that I'm not saying that this is like, oh, we've got to do it this way. This is what John sees it as, and this is the way we ought to do it. I'm going to lay it out there today as we try to do it all the time within the study of the Word of God, for you to examine and to see if you do not think it's so. And I think it shows very clearly, from my point of view at least, the ideas that the apostles passed along to the church to make the church vital, to make it real within the, the whole congregation. The, the thing that we have here that is a problem, and it is at any church that will grow, and we hope all churches grow because it is God that causes the growth. He, he sees and could entrust us with people. And so it, it, the Bible says that the church was finding favor with those in the community. And, and, and God was causing to their growth day by day those people were being saved. And so that's what we hope for. We want God to do. And so in that process, as we see God moving amongst us as we grow, there is there are people here that on this side of the room that, that really don't know all of the people on the other side of the room and vice versa, or you might not even know the person you're sitting next to or, or close to. And, 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 and in a church with, that, it, that grows, you can get lost. And, and you can lose the very essence of what church is to be all about. And I think, I think today the apostles say, I don't want you to get lost in all of this. There has to be both the big church where we'd be taught, and also a little church or are gathering together in smaller groups where we do have communion, where we do have fellowship with one another, and where we do have prayer for one another. That does not. I'm not going to teach today that, that, that it should be replaced and not be done in the, in the big setting of the church. We should also have communion. We should also have fellowship, and we should also pray for one another here in this, the big church. But also within the small setting, that's where real dynamics, that's where real church really takes seed, so to speak. 
because it's it's there in that setting where you really get to know one another and and you and you miss another person you know when a person's not doing well and you can pray for them lift them up encourage them have communion with one another and all the things that I believe the Bible teaches we ought to do so we're going to talk about that this morning it's going to be very practical um, in your bulletin, before we do open up the Bibles to read um, out of chapter 5, there is a, there's an uh, insert uh, about pastoral candidates. There's two, Mike Miller and Bill Morris, wonderful men. And I uh, want you to pray for them. Uh, you can read about them, uh, see what their uh, testimony is and, and who they are, and also who we are as a church as we try to establish ourselves and and promote from within, to find pastors from within, and to make the church be a, a place that happens from within. And so in a few weeks or a few months, we were going to ordain these two, but, but first we want you to pray about them. And also as the last paragraph would say, if there's anything that you might, it says in here, if you have any input that you believe would be of value regarding these two gentlemen, please let Wes Brown know. And that's what we would love for you to do. But, but primarily that and we want you to pray for them. Um, these are uh, these are two wonderful men. I absolutely love them both a lot. Um, and so pray for them. Now, let's, um, let's, let's take a look at what's taking place. Open your books, please your Bibles, to, to Acts chapter 5, and let's remind ourselves what's taking place. It does fit together, so excuse me if I reread what we've studied in a couple of weeks past. Verse 29 they said, look, we've given you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. We made mention that they wouldn't even mention the name Jesus. They did not want to even mention his name. Now, as I've already explained to you, you can see how chapter 1, verse 2 fits with chapter 5, verse 29. They gave strict orders, but God has given strict orders. This is why it was very simple for Peter to say, we must obey God rather than you. So it says in verse 28, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And you, and behold, you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Peter and the apostles answered, with not even taking a breath, they said, we must obey God rather than men. The God, he says in verse 30, of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you have put to death, you hanged him on a cross. And we mentioned last week that that you became very personal. Before, when Peter gave the message that you, uh, talking about putting the Messiah to death, he was talking in generalities. He was talking about the collective you, the collective grouping. But here, he got very personal. He said, you, you personally, you have put him to death by hanging him from a cross. Verse 31, he is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sin. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, here's what we're going to study today from verse 33 to 42. When they heard this, they are the Sanhedrin. They are the religious leaders of that day. When they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they were intending to slay them. But a certain Pharisee by the name of Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. And he said to them, them meaning to the council, men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. 
For some time ago, Thutis, I think that's the way you pronounce his name, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him. He was slain, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. And so, in the present case, I say to you, Stay away from these men and let them alone. If this plan or action should be of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may even be found fighting against God. It says in verse 40, They took his advice after calling the apostles in. They flogged them and ordered them to speak no more in the name of Jesus, and then they released them. Verse 41 and verse 42 are amazing verses. So they, they now are talking of the apostles and the disciples, the followers of Jesus Christ. They went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Folks, what took place here is an amazing event. I don't want us to miss it. Number one, they had no right to flog them. Now, flogging, as we'll see, I probably won't turn to it, but in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 3, the last verse that we'll look at, Deuteronomy 25, 3 says a flogging was a, a, a beating of at least, no, at most 40 lashes law was, normally what they did was they only beat someone 39 times so as not to go over, not to unmistakably go over 40 lashes. 40 lashes being flogged in that manner was putting a person close to death. What they did was they put them on a log or some sort of a, a, a board that they laid them down in front of them and they would give them two lashes on the back and then they would turn them over traditionally, and they would give them one lash on the chest. They'd turn them back over, give them two lashes on the back, turn them back over, and give them another lash on the chest until they gave out 39 to 49 lashes. By that time, as you can well imagine, that person was close to death. These people, the the Sanhedrin, had no right in beating the apostles. There was no trial. They were found guilty of nothing. They just beat them because, as it says in verse 33, as we're going to study in a moment, they were cut to the quick by what they said. I'll give you you a little insight. There's only two places in Scripture that it says they were cut to the quick. Both of them are in the book of Acts. Both of them are by the apostles speaking the word of God to the the non-believers. In Acts chapter 5, they were here cut to the quick because Peter says, you, individually, you put him to death. That cut them to the quick. In Acts chapter 7, when they were going to stone Stephen, before they stoned Stephen, Stephen preached the gospel and told them the same thing that Peter said. You caused the Messiah to go to the cross and die. And that it says, and I think it's in Acts chapter 7, oh, I don't know, I have it in my notes. Acts chapter 7 and 
I'm sorry. I'll tell you in a moment. I think it's verse 59. I don't remember verbatim, but I'll look at it in a moment and we'll see. But it says that that also cut them to the quick. And what we're going to see in this message is the Word of God is what cuts a person to the quick. It is the Word of God, we are told, that is as sharp as a two-edged blade. It is the Word of God that we are told that does not come back void. It accomplishes what God set it out to do. That is important because we as a church, you and I, we as a church, have decided that it is the Word of God that we, we hold as of utmost importance here. It is this that will change our lives. This is what cuts us to the quick. So that's kind of an overview of where we're going. I read already, let's pray and let's get into this message. It's, I, can't, it's, it's, I like it a lot. Father, please um, open up our eyes, uh, open up our hearts, our minds, our thoughts right now. Uh, would you mind, Father, just clearing our thoughts even, uh, the busyness of, of this day some of us might have. Um, may we put those things and lay them aside for the next half an hour so that we might hear from you clearly. Open up our eyes and our hearts, dear Father, that we might behold the wonders of your law so that we might allow you to, if need be, cut us to the quick. In other words, move within our very being so that you would accomplish what you desire to accomplish in each of our hearts, in each of our lives. I pray that you would hide the one gives the message. Move me aside, dear Father. Let us um, see clearly who you are, not the speaker. Let us, as a group of believers, clearly see what you have called us to do, not what men say. May we not get caught up in this whole process of, of uh, new age churches and, and uh, even that's falling upon Christianity, where we're trying to conform the church into the image of what is going on within our society. God forbid that to happen with us. May we take seriously the orders that were given to the apostles. And may may we, with the best of our ability, follow them as they have given them to the next generation and the next generation to us. And if you should should tarry, dear Father, and and decide not to come back uh, for a while, may we be faithful to pass it along to the next generation after us. And if you would give us favor, Father, that we might be found as faithful a group of people as uh, these who followed you back in the first century when you established the church. May we take the orders that you gave them very seriously. And may we, like Peter, say to everyone that would hear us, we must obey you rather than men. And so, Father, do what you wish to us. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks. Let me just... God, I love you guys so much. It's hard to put into words. I, I don't know how you feel, but I, get, I just love you so much. Let me just go over a little bit last week. Last week was interesting because it was very important. We talked of last week the importance of our love, our obedience, and our commitment to our walk with Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus said himself in John chapter 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my, what? My commandments. In other words, if you love me, you'll be obedient. 
you will be obedient to my word if you love me. Over and over again, you just can't get away from it. Churches try. You can't. You can't get away from the importance of the word of God. What the speaker has to say, the, the, the pastor or whomever, is irrelevant apart from what the Bible says. That's why we read the word here, and that's why we'll take a look at every verse that we can to see what does it mean to us. Once Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to keep my word, you're going to obey my word, then he said, look, if you wish, in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24, 25, 26, we looked at them last week. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, that person must deny themselves. And they must take up their cross and follow me. There's a commitment. There is not only an obedience, there is a commitment to walking with Jesus Christ. He says, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, that person will find it. And then he goes on to say in verse 26 of Matthew 16, one of the great verses in all of Scripture, what will it profit you? What will it profit you if you gain the whole world and yet lose a portion of your soul? What will you give in exchange for your soul? And so what we said was our obedience, our commitment, our love of Jesus Christ calls us to do something. That something that we are called to do is to be careful with the orders that were given to the apostles passed on to the church so that we might follow them. You and I just can't haphazardly have church. It doesn't fly. We can't just do what we think is right. We need to find out what does God say is right, and we must obey God rather than mankind. You and I are not called to preach a new social order or a new society. That's never been a call in Scripture. Our call is to bring people to a new birth, a birth in Christ. We've not ever been called to entertain one another within the church. We are called to equip one another within the church. That's our call. And to do so, we need to preach Christ and He alone and His Word because He is eternally the same. He is the same, it says in Hebrews 13, uh, verse 8, he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, forever. And Jesus had the boldness to say in John 14, 6, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and you cannot come to the Father but through me. And so that's our call. Our call is to present Christ and to present him as clearly as we possibly can present him. In other words, your mission and my mission is to please God, not mankind. So Peter, when they asked him that question, we've given you strict orders. Don't teach in his name. It was nothing for Peter to say, we've got to obey God, not you. Because we have been given orders. Our orders have come from God. So no matter what you ask us to do, it doesn't supersede what, what he has told us to do. Our orders have come from him. So have yours and so have mine. Our orders have come from the Lord. It would be a smart church to try to find out what those orders are so that we can follow them. We are called to do things God's ways. So as, as Gamaliel says, look at verse 39. He said, what you guys are doing, and, and 
And it's an amazing statement Gamaliel is making here. In verse 39, he says, if this is of God, you're not going to be able to throw them, or else you might find yourself fighting with God. You see, in the midst of the turmoil of Israel, you had on one side the religious leaders of the day, and they denied the, the very essence of Christ. They denied. They denied the miracles that he did. They denied the words that he said. They denied him on every level. And they said, you're not the Messiah. You're not the Messiah. You have them on one side. And on the other side, you have those who are following Jesus Christ. And there is, there is a turmoil that's going on in Israel. And the, the religious leaders, they're watching themselves lose this battle. Because the followers of Jesus Christ are now doing the things that he did. They're doing miracles. They don't know how to deal with them. So what they say in verse 33 is, let's kill them. That's their answer. Their answer is to kill them. So Gamaliel says in verses 34 to 39, he says to the council, he gave them the best advice possible. He said, listen, we better be careful. We better watch what we're doing here because we might find ourselves not fighting against these guys, but fighting against God. And we're not going to win that battle. I say the same thing to us as a church, and I say, if I could, to every church that opens its door in the United States of America or across this world. We need to be careful what we preach, we need to be careful what we teach, and we need to be careful how we do church. So as not to do it man's way, but to do it God's way, or else we as churches could find ourselves fighting with God. <coughs> Please excuse me. i got a tickle in my throat. May I, excuse me. I'll take a drink of water. Gamaliel, on one side, is a great hero. On the other side, <coughs> I'll show you in a moment. He's not so heroic. <coughs> Darn it. As we can plainly see in verse 33, their intent was to kill the followers of Jesus Christ, just as they did our Lord. But out of their midst comes this guy, Gamaliel, with a voice of reason. I'm going to turn Mike out just for a second. I'm going to cough like you can't believe there's something right here. So please forgive me. It didn't help. (laughs) But I I thought it might. Uh, Anyways, he says in verses 34 to 39, let's be careful, guys. I want you to see something about this, though. There's something that's far deeper underlining what Gamaliel said (coughs) than meets the eye. There's something that's caught. (coughs) To the casual glance, it it could be (coughs) just like an accident. But in truth... What we can see is God's hand at work. Let me give you the example. It's, it's really, I think it's very practical. You'll see this in a moment. Last week we saw in verse 19 a bona fide supernatural miracle. Can't miss miracle. <clears throat> They're in jail, right? The apostles are in jail. During the night in verse 19 it says an angel comes and opens up the doors, lets them out, and then locks the doors because we learn that later. One of the guards says, the place is still locked, but they're not in here. But you know where they are? They're at the temple preaching still. 
They're doing just what you told them not to, to do. That was a bona fide, can't-miss miracle. I am saying to you today that what God made Gamaliel do was just as much a miracle <coughs> as letting him out of jail. He took a Pharisee. By the way, Gamaliel, as you'd learn if, when we get way on in the study in Acts chapter 22 and verse 3, Gamaliel was Paul's teacher. Paul went through theology training through Gamaliel. Gamaliel was well respected. But Gamaliel was no follower of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and Gamaliel asks the group of the council, let these guys go or we might be fighting with God. I, I don't want you and me to miss something. In Proverbs 21.1, it says this, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. God turns the king's heart wherever way he wishes. That's what he did with Gamaliel. This is a bona fide miracle. God uses none other than Gamaliel to defend the church. And he's not even a follower of the church. You know, I stopped when I saw that and I, I made this statement to myself. You know, today... God's doing miracle after miracle after miracle, and most of us miss it. Most of us just go our way. Something happens, we say, Phew, was I lucky there? Or, wow, what a wonderful coincidence. That, you wouldn't believe what just happened. And instead of taking a look at what happens through the, the spectacles of, a, of our Christianity, through spiritual glasses, so to speak, we kind of look at it just as another coincidence, another happenstance. I'm going to give you a little insight. My, the foolishness of me. I, I pray for... I pray for par you pray for parking places? I pray for parking places for crying out loud. I don't know what my odds are and I don't know how I, how I do. I, sometimes I get one and I thank the Lord. Oh, I'm so... This is great. Look at... I'm right in front. I'm parked. Perfect place. And other times I can't find it and I, I, well, Lord, thank you. You must not want me. I thank him both ways. I mean, it's a, I, I just thank the Lord. You're going to give me a lozenge, aren't you? Thanks. <laughs> I, I don't know that that'll help. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, there's a third person who doesn't want to be up front. He hates that too. <laughs> So I do that. I will <clears throat> thank the Lord for, for all things. I try to see everything. I'm on the freeway. Accident almost happened. Whether I'm involved or not. But basically, if I'm involved, I, I, I thank the Lord. You know, Lord, thank you so much. And now I'm getting almost to the place where I'm not so uh, angry driving, you know, at, at someone that may be driving poorly. Mostly I'm driving poorly. But someone else driving poorly, and I'll back off and I'll pray for them. Lord, that person must be in a hurry. Maybe there's a problem in their family. I, I pray for them. And you might say, wow, that's, I don't know, that's, that's a little bit overboard. Let me tell you what I think. You might agree with me in a moment. I would much rather go to heaven and have the Lord say, you know all those times you prayed for a parking place? Do you think I have nothing to do but then to have people leave a department store early just for you? That was foolishness. But, thanks for thinking about me anyways. 
I would rather him say that than I'm up there and he says, you know how many times I had a person leave early just so you could park there and you never thanked me. I would much rather it be that way. I think it's a a good exercise for you and me to, to think about the spiritual things in our life a little more and to kind of give God the praise that He so richly deserves, whether He deserves it or not, to give Him praise is a good thing. I, I, I just do that. It's, I just throw that out. It's a, it's a practical way of, of our faith, I think. It's a good thing to pray. I believe that God moved the heart of Gamaliel just like, a, like He does the heart of a king. So it would move in the direction He wanted it to do because He did not want anything... Well, beyond what happened to his disciples to happen to them. He didn't want them slain. In verse 33, it tells us, as we said a little while ago, they were cut to the quick. The Greek word for cut to the quick is D-I-A-P-R-I-O. It is mentioned, as I told you, two places. Here in chapter 5 and also chapter 7, verse 54. I said verse 59 a little while ago. I was wrong. Verse 54. It's the incident with Peter giving the Word of God and Stephen giving out the Word of God. In both places, with Peter and with Stephen, God's Word was used to cut the listener to the quick. King David writes that the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at them. In Acts chapter 7, verse 54, it says, When they heard this, when they heard what Stephen said, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. They were so angry with him. You see, the Word of God moved within the lives of those that didn't know the Savior, and it cut them to the quick. Let me tell you, that is an apt metaphor for what the Word of God truly does. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 4, please. Hold your place here. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. Glenn, thank you so much for this. I will try it, see what happens. What is it? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) He went, I don't know. Found it out back here. Um, In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, we find that the Word of God is a direct application to what is cut to the quick means. Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God, the Word of God, folks, The Word of God, one of the reasons why we so diligently want to teach the Word of God here. The Word of God, it says, is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It, the Word of God, pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit and both joints and marrow. It, the Word of God, is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of of the heart. You see, the Word of God was given to us by God to cut to the quick of a person's heart, to get to the point of what needs to be said in their lives. It is the Word of God that will move you and me to become the person of God that God wants us to become. How do I know that? Look with me at Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11 now. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11. Glenn, thank you so much for this. Good. Isaiah 55, 11. 
Listen to what the Lord God says concerning His Word. It's, I'm telling you, if there ever is a reason why a church should open up its doors and preach the Word of God, it is Hebrews 4.12 4, as we just read, and here in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 11. Look, Isaiah writes, this is our Lord speaking, So will my word, this is God saying, my word be with which goes forth from my mouth. God says, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the manner for which I sent it. Folks, that is what the word of God does. It cuts us to the quick and it accomplishes what God desires for it to accomplish. That is why I don't try to preach to you my thoughts. I don't try to preach to you these uh, ideas. I, I, I try to preach to us, you and me, the very essence of the Word of God. I want the Word of God to go out into your life. I want it to cut you to the quick if need be. And I want it to accomplish what God desires for it to accomplish in your life. And that's why I believe when people come to me afterwards and say, wow, that really helped in this area in my life. And another person will say, Oh, that really helped me in this area of my life, and they're both so unrelated, it's unbelievable. And I realized then and there, it's not the speaker that's doing something. God is accomplishing what He wants to accomplish in and through His Word being preached. Because His Word is like a two-edged sword that pierces as far as the division of our soul and spirit, our joints and our marrows. It, it's able to judge our thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. And when it goes out, as it says in Isaiah 55, it will accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. It will do what He sent it out to do. That's His job. That's what preachers, that's what teachers, that's what you and I are called to do. We're not called to manipulate the Word of God. We're just simply called to, to say it the way it is and let God do in your life and in my life what He so desires. And He will accomplish it if we send forth His Word from His mouth. I am sold on that with all of my being. You want to know what I'm all about? That's it. I, I, there's a few things that I want in life. I'm, I'm a contented man in so many areas. I've got, I mean, <clears throat> I really have a great wife. I mean, I, 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 I mean I'm bragging, but I, I have a great wife. I couldn't ask for a better wife. I really couldn't. It'd be hard for me to imagine. I couldn't ask for better kids. Both my kids love the Lord. Both my kids love mom and dad. They love us. And both of them married people that love us too. It's, it's unbelievable. But I'll tell you where my underlying heart is. Yeah, I love my family with all my heart. But my underlying desire of my life is to be with you. I was talking to Ken about it just moments ago. It's to be with you folks. The desire of my heart is that you and I would grow in our faith. The truth of the matter is, <clears throat> I'd just soon be with the Lord right now. But I don't want to go. I want to be here with you guys. I want us to grow in our faith. I want us to become all that God wants us to become. And, and maybe I'm being selfish and maybe prideful, but I want to see it happen. I want to see it happen. So the Lord of God, the Word of God is everything to me. Let's finish this message. Gamaliel, chapter, back to chapter 5. While his counsel seemed wise at the moment, the notion that whatever 
succeeds has God's blessings upon it, and whatever fails does not, and that's not always true. Case in point, you look at cults, you look at false religions, they have millions of people following them. Does that mean that they're successful? No. You see, that statement that, Gam- that Gamaliel made is just as foolhardy as the statement that you come to Christ, you become a believer, and everything in your life is going to be perfect. That's, that's, a, that's not true. Or you be obedient, as we've been studying. You follow the Lord to the T, and you don't have to worry. Everything in your life will be perfect. <clears throat> you have no trials. That's not true. And so what Gamaliel said was not true. What he said was, he gave a moment to where they could let the apostles go. But what he said didn't hold water. Here's what have, here's what have held water. Here's what he should have said. Look at guys. These gentlemen, these fellows that are, are saying what they're saying, they are following a risen Savior. Let's take a look at the tomb. It is empty. That's what he should have said. Shouldn't have looked at the results. What he should have looked at is what happened there in the grave when Jesus Christ was crucified. And he should have reminded them that he is no longer in the grave. He should have reminded them all the miracles he did verified the very essence of what he said. We should have listened closer to what he said. And now, of all things, the fellows that are following him, they're doing the same miracles he did. Something's up. That's what he should have said. And so he's not such a hero here. He is being manipulated and moved by God, in my opinion, to set them free. But do they get set free? Is he such a kind guy? No. Look, what they do is they look at verses 40 and 41. They bring him back and they flog him. And I've already mentioned to you, in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 3, that meant that they got 40 lashes. They were beaten near death. And he didn't stop them for that. He didn't say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait one minute. Where's the trial here? Where are they guilty here? What have they done wrong that that they deserve 40 lashes? The reason they were beaten was the very reason that that the Sanhedrin wanted to put down in their lives. And that was to intimidate them, to show them that they could have them killed if they wanted to. Because they were not following their orders. They were following God's orders. And so note, note the attitude of these guys. You're not going to stop them. And that's why I say you and I ought to thank God for these first century believers. They passed along the the gospel for you and for me. They they didn't know that they were going to pass along to us. They knew they were passing along to the next generation, but... They have impacted our lives. We owe them a great debt of gratitude. But here's the issue. You and I ought to be those types of people. Look what they do. In spite of being imprisoned, in spite of being threatened, in spite of of being beaten close to death, their response was joy. Unbelievable, these guys. Not because bad things happened to them. No, they found joy because they were considered worthy to suffer shame for the name of Christ. How many of us do that? How many of us consider ourselves worthy to suffer shame for the name of Christ? 
how many of us are willing to do what it takes to pass on this gospel to the next generation should the Lord tarry? I want to. With all my heart, I want to. So instead of making the disciples fearful, look what happened. They become, they're crazy. These guys, are, they're not going to stop them. They became even more and more courageous. Verse 42, it says, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus Christ as the Lord. We see them doing the work of, of the church, proclaiming and teaching Jesus Christ. Note, in two settings, they are doing it in the temple. That's the large setting. That's the sanctuary. And they're also doing it from house to house. That's in small groups. Now, I only have three minutes. I want to quit. But let me say this. It is my now contention that small groups, I've always thought small groups are everything to a church. I now believe it with all my heart. Small groups are everything to a church. It's in the large setting that we get the apostles' teaching. It's in the large setting we hear the Word of God being taught. It is in the small groups where you find fellowship, communion with one another, and praying for one another. Because it's in small groups where you're going to know what's going on if you're in a small group. But because of the people there, they don't know what you're going through. And some of us here are not in small groups and we're not being connected with one another. I believe with all of my heart that it is in small groups that we ought to be having communion. It is in small groups that we ought to be having fellowship. It is in small groups that we ought to be praying for one another. You have a person in your small group who's going through really a tough time in their life. You all ought to get together and you ought to break some bread and you ought to have communion for that person, reminding each other who Jesus is. And then you ought to lift that person up, encourage them, and then you ought to pray for one another. I'm not taking away the responsibility here in this church that we would have communion, nor that we would have fellowship, nor that we would pray for one another. But I'm saying to you that I believe that they had it right in the first century. Day by day, they were continuing with one mind from temple and from house to house, breaking bread and lifting each other up. That's what I want us to become. A church that really does what a church ought to do. It cannot happen unless you get involved in a small group. And you know, we can't make you do it. You just can't. I know how busy you are, and I understand all of that. Can't make you get in a small group. I can only pray with all of my heart that God will touch your heart and that you'll start a, a formation of a group of people that gather together and encourage one another, pray for one another, have communion with each other, actual communion, breaking bread, and having bread and wine, remembering what Jesus Christ did for you when he went to the cross and rose from the dead. Right on time. Let's quit. Father God, thank you so much for this time that we have to worship you and to thank you for who you are. Please, dear Father, guide us as we try to become a church that you would want us to be. Guide us. Let us not allow, uh, don't allow us, Father, to make mistakes. Let us be a church as we are, a church that desires not to do things man's ways, but to do it your way, dear Father. We would rather be obedient to you than to anything else. And so bless us, watch over us, guide us. Places where we're going wrong, stop it, Father. Please stop us so that we don't make any mistakes and offend you. Let us not be a body of believers who 
God forbid, is fighting against you. Let us be on the same page, please, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you all so much. Thank you for being here. I'm sorry for the tickle. Glenn, thank you so much for that. That helped a lot. God bless you guys. Have a great day.